0: twinkle twinkle zach and lucas podcast show how i wonder what you are up above the internet so high like a beautiful podcast in the sky twinkle twinkle lucas and zach podcast show i don't remember the last line of this song (laughs)
1: I was sort of hoping you were going to sing Frank Sinatra because we are talking about a New York movie, but um, yeah, no, that was good. Uh, Welcome into what I believe is episode 25 of our podcast, continuing the Tony Scott and Denzel Washington run with, um, we are now going underground into the subway for the taking of Pelham 123. But we have a couple of pieces of business first. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually a train. Noise.
0: <laughs> there had been a train song, what am I doing with my life? I should have had a better song. A There's definitely song? a song, some like. A train drops a Jupiter by a train. <laughs> Woody Guthrie has to have a song about trains or something.
1: Yeah, <sighs> It's okay.
0: I'll come up with the plane songs for next month.
1: We do have a little bit of business to do first. I was reminded by our producer that we have emails to read, um, and I'm very bad at checking the account, which is all my fault. Mostly because I don't think I ever gave Zach the password. Um.
0: <laughs> I'm very unaware of our internet presence in general. So, so
1: hey, we're actually kind of blowing up right now. I don't know if you know this. I was looking at the stats. I haven't been looking them up. We had we're coming off some of our best weeks. You know, nearly 40 listens a week, and you know, Wait, our,
0: crazy. I thought we peaked at Tom Hanks.
1: No, we're actually, we're, and we're having. You know, every week is we're getting like um, not only the newest podcast, but also like five to six other podcasts getting multiple views a week. So we're doing pretty good right now. But let us go to the emails. We have uh, a first email from Mr. Michael Campbell. Uh, the subject line is episode titles, and the email reads thus, Hi, guys. It's your biggest fan. Michael here. Just wanted to bring something uh, something up to you. It is regarding the titles of your episodes. I feel like they could be more professional, aesthetically pleasing, and help get more views than the four you get. Wow. <laughs> Our biggest fan taking shots at us already.
0: Yeah. I, mean, I think you should is through Michael Campbell, so he's allowed to give us some advice. I think you should number them.
1: Numbering your episodes is never bad unless people know the order in which you've released them. I mean, so does looking at the dates they released in case, you know, people can...
0: It you also know. doesn't matter. It's not like we have this deep lore in the show <laughs> that you have to follow. In up fact, in fact actually,
1: in some ways, listing them out of order might be helpful because Zach will <laughs> often reference things that haven't been talked about. <laughs> um, unless, also, if people see that you have on to, say, episode number two, so then they know that you guys have been doing this for a while and are somewhat experienced or not experienced or terrible. And for the final reason, how are you going to have a brand that sells mugs, T-shirts, and condoms but not even have the name of your podcast in the title of your episode? Big missed opportunity, methinks. I blame Paul Yoyami. He told me to take it out of the title of the episode. Um, So, Michael, can you please write Paul? I'll give you his email. And um
0: I also to take out of the episode. Why? It's the name of the show. You already know what you're looking at. Who are you? Anyway,
1: that's all for today, guys. I hope you're my advice and at least consider it. That's all I ask. Keep on being you. Your personalities are so rocking. Love, Michael. Um, you know, some good, helpful advice. We love you too, Michael. Um, and Even then a second added with everything he said. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a second email, no subject line, so you know potentially could be spam. We don't know if it's actually the real Michael Campbell. Hey guys, Michael here. Saw your call for family rankings, and decided to grant your wish with a twist. I will rank a family from least annoying to most annoying, but it won't be mine. It will be Zach's. So Zach, yeah. <laughs> Zach, <laughs> Zach <I'm> old. <laughs> I feel like I'm a part of the Fullerford household. The way they've taken me in and helped me grow has shaped who I am today. And I will be forever grateful. I think I have got good rest of them as people. So without further ado, here are my rankings. This will be least annoying first and the people will get more annoying as we go down. So least annoying. Sarah, obviously, she's the mother of Theo that grants her nudity. She's also the reason Theo will grow up a Cavs fan. And though it may be delayed, it will be it
0: will be a LeBron stand. <laughs> LeBron's not even going to be playing in his life. LeBron's going to be like being a gold Chamberlain fan to Theo. <laughs> um,
1: number seven. So this is again still in the least annoying uh, group. Gertrude, like Zach said, just chill, minds her own business, good cat. Good cat. <laughs> Uh, number six, Zach's mom Good babysitter, will watch movies with you Has settled into the grandma world nicely Is not Marie from Everybody Loves Raymond So that's always a plus
0: Wait, we jumped to the, Oh, we're going down Wait, what eight family members is here? <laughs> I don't know
1: Okay Here's eight ranked Number five Theo. Obviously, Theo is the children child, chosen child, but that's just it. He's still a child. And as Zach once said about the students he teaches, fuck them kids. <laughs> it's not Theo's fault. He's a baby. His destiny, his destiny is beyond winning this list. Number four. Zach. This feels right. He's a fun hang. Can talk to him, but also Loki weirds you out a bit.
0: I thought it was going to be, like, number one, so. Would am be lower like,
1: on this list if he didn't have so much flannel? Needs a nice little blankie to use while cuddling up on the couch? Zach's flannel. Need a tablecloth? Zach's flannel. It's just so much that it's overwhelming.
0: Yeah, I'm in a sweater <laughs> right now with a nice long coffee tea stain from this morning. And I am wearing much better. This is, like. I was reading the comments in my, my class, Google Meets, and it says, Mr. Ford, did you realize you spilled tea all over yourself? <laughs> and are, ah, no. It's like really long.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Number three, Other Cat. Morton. Number two, Zach's brother. As I'm sure you're aware, he recently got Letterboxd, and the way he's been using it is really just a microcosm of how he lives his life, which is to say, It's to no one's surprise, he's the second most annoying person of the Fullerford
0: family. I agree. His letterbox (laughs) is is miserable to watch. (laughs) I believe you showed it to me, and he has some really extreme views. Every
1: movie is a five
0: or a one. There's no. He also did the notorious not realizing difference between like rating a movie and putting it in your diary and marked 5,000 movies as watched on December 1st. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs)
1: Whoa. And now to our number one. It could only be this person. It is, of course, Zach's sister. First of all, that's, right, well, you know, that's First of all, she doesn't even have a Letterboxd account or watch movies. And because of this, she doesn't pull her weight when it comes to paying for a streaming service that okay. we can all share. You just cannot talk to this woman. And also, I'm kind of afraid she might accidentally kill someone. <laughs> yeah,
0: How do you think I, of Michael's ranking? Um, it, it's right. For, I think I'm a little high. <laughs> Um, are you saying you don't low key weird people out? Any anything he's being very generous to my mom?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is he being generous
0: um, to no, I think I, I think I should be lower in the list? I think I high key weird people. Oh, you're out. more annoying. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I feel I should rate myself. Anyways, guys, low. that's my ranking. Hope you enjoyed. Love Michael. Hey, Lucas, you got to say your family and get Michael to know him so he can rank your family next.
1: No. <laughs> I do my best to keep um, Michael from knowing anything about my family because he has too much dirt on me and will definitely blackmail me someday when I'm attempting to become a state senator. I mean, I mean. And I'll be the weirdest. I'll be the Massachusetts state senator who is whose biggest policy is easier extradition you know, and immigration from Australia. What
0: job do I have in your office? Is it still cabinet? (laughs) Well, not a senator.
1: If I become president, what job would I let Zach be? I mean, you could be secretary of education. Fuck yeah. I mean, I feel like you don't really want to be secretary. You want to be like special envoy to Sweden or something.
0: I don't know. Special, I want to be education secretary. We're all doing outdoor school. There's no more buildings. (laughs) We're all going to be in the woods. Zach's Zach's (laughs) policies. Killed in my reelection campaign. <laughs> We're gonna teach them trades like the good old days. They're all gonna learn how to change a tire instead of do math. Sex so like, sex like, you guys are gonna get
1: really good at digging ditches.
0: <laughs> and you're gonna be holes around the whole country. We're all gonna be digging holes until they find me that treasure. Sex so also gonna be like, um, and you're gonna get really good at raking my yard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And, you know, gardening, if I want to grow a garden. Yeah. With that said, we have read Mr. Campbell's emails. So thank you to him for sending us emails. And we will continue on to our usual opening segment, which is, of course, last letterbox to movie, Mr. Zach
0: Ford. Hit um, it. We spent way too long going, Michael, that now I have forgotten my last letterboxd review. It was the last goodbye, I believe, you said? No, you, um, I'm going to talk about between the lines. What is between, is lines? between them? I should have done the BG speed. Okay, anyways, between lines. Um, this is directed by Joan Nicklin Silver, who's having I don't I think it's hard to say like having a moment, she died. So a lot of people are reappraising um her movies. And I think like a lot of people becoming know, um Lionel knows her, I really didn't know who she was or aware of her movies um before mm. this week. So it's unfortunate that it takes um a death of an artist to get them any kind of spotlight back in their career. Um I'm sure she's had some levels of spotlights, but um, not anything that, as noticeable. Um, I just noticed her popping up in my letterbox a lot. Um, so I've watched Between the Lines on Criterion Channel. Um, Between the Lines is a, is a real hangout movie. Um, it is about an alternative newspaper uh, for, in Boston. Um, and, and it's like loosely about the paper, but more just about the journalist's lives. You do get to see him work a little bit, but there's romances They hang out in the bars. It, it's an early Jeff Goldblum movie doing like real crazy Jeff Goldblum shit. And he plays, um, like a keyboard at some point. Um, he's kind of the wild card of the group, which is a real live wire, fun thing to watch. Um, John Heard, it's like probably his, one of his more lead performances for him, um, based on the role, but really if like for especially the like 80s, 70s subgenre of hangout movies like The Big Chill. And that stuff, it fits perfectly in that category. I, I think there is some like weird editing moments. It just seems a little, like a little sloppy at points, but you kind of forget that in retrospect because it's also just um, fun to be around these people and they, and they flesh out the characters in a real life way and the decisions they make are are you know more complex than they are up front and like... <sighs> um, touching their gray area with what they do in life. Um, so it's an interesting movie and I recommend, I mean, I hope to dive more into her filmography as well. I wanna watch Crossing Lancy, um soon. Um, so everybody else should check her out too. Yeah, I also was unfamiliar
1: with her before this happened. And you know, I started to notice people do the same thing you do, which was like people were watching a lot of her stuff. Uh, this movie actually does sound pretty cool. So I might check it out. Um, but it is, it is kind of sad that somebody like this would probably have never popped up on my radar, mm-hmm. if not for tragic passing. And then everyone being like, oh, this person died. Maybe we should reexamine it. That is kind of a, I guess, a sad commentary on, like, the state of um, filmmaking. And also, I feel like something that happens with a lot of female directors. Um Zach, I'm blanking on her name. Who directed Laggies? And she um, also did. And Chalenton. Lynn Shelton, I believe Lynn Shelton kind of had this happen too, where Lynn Shelton died and suddenly Lynn Shelton was receiving this um, level of bump that just did not exist at all before she died. And um, it does seem like it's a thing, especially with female directors who tend to be a little bit more under the radar and a little bit more, I mean, a little less watched so that their big moment is unfortunately a moment after they are already gone and can no longer uh, take advantage of the moment.
0: Yeah, Lynch Shows especially never really got her like big, kind of a Hollywood chance. Maybe she wasn't interested, but she did do TV work, which makes me seem that like she did want to take stuff for a job. because She did a lot of directing on Glow and some other TV shows I can't think of as well. Um, but she always stayed within the indie realm. Um, I mean, but like a good comparison to her career of someone that had m- more notes, I mean, she was like Duplass Brothers. She easily should have had the same notes that the Duplass Brothers have had, and and they've gotten a little more money for some of their movies. There's no reason. For Laggies, sure. I guess. Kind of her, like, more Hollywood chance.
1: I guess. I mean, that's still A24, still pretty low. There's a lot of male indie directors we've seen in recent years who have one indie movie that people like and then try to make a giant blockbuster and fail spectacularly. Yeah. And um, it is kind of, it, it's a little interesting. Maybe she didn't want to do that, but it is interesting that, you know, Lynn Shilton never could, maybe got that chance.
0: But watch them show movies. They're all great. Yeah. Um, so her, because- her movies were. Movies of of, uh, twenty nineteen. So yeah, she's very good. Go cool. on. Um, my last movie
1: in Letterboxd was interesting. So this movie came out. This was like the movie that you had to go to the theaters for. It had this huge push. Kind of failed, pretty spectacularly.
0: I like the, um, like answer giving. We're we now going to get people to guess our movies. We're going to talk about. No, 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 no. <laughs> I just
1: think that I think I think that it's interesting that. Christopher Nolan put out a movie this summer and I waited till January to catch up with it. You still haven't seen uh, the name. Is it Tenet. I watched Tenet, the most right. recent Christopher Nolan movie. Um, for comparison, I saw Dunkirk in theaters the opening week. Um, which is commentary on both the state of the world, what the year Dunkirk came out, and also a state... Um, I, have a, I always have a problem with Chris Nolan when he does movies like Tenet. Um I watched tenant and maybe this is a really bad take, but the thought I kept having was, why isn't this just a straightforward heist movie? Like I sort of want the spy espionage version of that movie with a lot less of the weird timelines and time travel and multiple dimensions and multiple timeline stuff. I, I think I find something I, I think we give Chris Nolan a real pass with a lot of his movies. That I don't necessarily know he deserves.
0: I almost feel (laughs) the opposite way. Let me elaborate. Harshly critical on him because he's trying something so ambitious rather than, it's like when you have the top tier directors, their movies are put under such a sharper lens than the middle tier directors were. Like if this was, Tenet was directed by a no name, you'd be like, look at this great new thing by a new director, a four and a four and a half. But because he's such a big name, you're like, so much easier to be harsh
1: on. I don't think it's about – I don't think my criticism is about Nolan's stature. I think my criticism is that if you make a movie that I have to go read a bunch of Reddit pages and Wikipedia pages
0: to try to understand, then maybe your movie just isn't very good. No, I don't think that's even the point, though. And he's open about this. He's like, some I kind of make movies that are hard to understand to just like give yourself away to it. Like It doesn't matter if you understand it, which is Mm. how I really vibe with Tenet. Like, I I just – Gave up to a point where you could just go for the service tools, just be like an observer of the craziness that's happening. You try to I found, both levels. I
1: found that at some parts, and I found a lot of parts of the movie that I found the weird stuff that they were doing um like pushing me away to the point where I kind of just kind of wanted that part to end. Um I I I I think in my experience, looking at my my opinions of of Nolan, I tend to like his more grounded work. And I think in some ways I'm very frustrated by his continued um need to like do all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, you could make
0: really good movies that are make more sense. Um, I think Christopher Nolan is really driven by what is cool. And he's just like, you know what would be cool? Let's fucking like playing crash it into a warehouse. Oh, I what agree. And that's it. I like Cook Nolan trying to try and do cool shit. And- you could do the, the thing is you could do the cool shit, the plane crashes
1: and stuff, all that cool shit in a straightforward spy espionage heist movie. I kind of wanted to see that movie rather than the weird timeline stuff. Like I feel like a lot of the time travel actually actively detracted from my enjoyment of the movie to the point where like there's the initial shock value of realizing, oh, it's two versions of the same character. Which is then, which I think works, but then there's the moments where, like, they spend too much time focused on it, and I'm just, like, bored? And then I think the third act is a kind of a bizarre... Um, That's the hardest part to keep track of. That, well, it's not even just that; is that I am just genuinely confused why they ended up in some kind of weird sci-fi battle sequence that looks like it should be from a Liam Hemsworth movie. Like, I, I don't understand, like, that, that, is, like, it's not bad, I, but I, I generally.
0: It's pretty similar to the end of Inception. Inception's the same way, this kind of, like, vast landscape where just, like, a lot of ships go in. Yeah.
1: I just, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm also relatively critical of Inception. I think I have a lot of similar problems with it. Um, Yeah. So I caught up on Tenant. I think it was really interesting that it did take me as long as it did. And I think that's some ways a commentary on Tenant and um what Nolan is going for I'm interested to see I'm like he's a director I'm always interested to see what he does next I would love to see more of the Dunkirk lane than the Tenant lane if I'm being honest like I think he can do really cool stuff in a more grounded universe like I love the like I love the multiple timelines and multiple like stories connecting in Dunkirk but I think that just makes a lot more sense than anything in Tenet does and um I think I would hope for a more grounded Nolan going forward.
0: I'm really Tenet. hoping for the Christopher Nolan and Sandler comedy. Like full and happy go or happy Madison Sandler comedy directed by Christopher. That would Nolan. be interesting. I would watch yeah. that. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I would before we move on, I would say I don't think Tenon is a bad movie. No, it's not. Really I, I think I think it's good. It's fine. Um I do think there's a lot of that movie that they're going to enjoy. It's very, like, inconsistent. There are moments you really enjoy. I think there are moments where I'm bored and kind of, like, confused. You know why you
0: didn't like it? I can tell you. It's because you didn't watch it in a wonderful VR headset, like <laughs> special, special guys on this podcast. I mean, that may be true.
1: I do <laughs> wonder what it would be like in theaters. Um, That's definitely yeah. a hard movie to focus on, like, you know, not in a theater with potential distractions, really. Um, Yeah, Tenant. It's a movie that came out last year. And um, if we didn't see in the theaters, it was supposedly the end of cinema going as we know it. Yeah, they Which, I like you, Chris <laughs> Nolan, but that was a, a weird, it was a weird take for Chris Nolan to really push the theater experience in July and August. They, really, this could be coming out this summer. There's no reason it could have waited a year. Yeah, yeah I, honestly, I, I do honestly wonder if Chris Nolan would have gotten better returns on his movie if he'd waited a year. If he'd pushed it back like Bond and Black Widow and all those other big movies and not
0: I mean, tried to force it into it, the middle of a pandemic. And I think a lot of negativity comes out because there's just so much pressure put upon this to be like the savior of movies. It got hyped so highly hyped before it. it was well, it's also, it guy. was the only
1: movie coming out and that means that every person was going to be critically going over that movie more than any other. And in some ways this movie may have just benefited more from more people watching it while really happy about the state of movies so I think just beyond the the movie being okay I think that um, his push around it was kind of uh, pretty uninformed and kind of dangerous and I think does kind of deserve some criticism for how heavily he was pushing uh, a dangerous in theater experience in quite a bad time for the world and like Chris Nolan maybe next time we think about um how important things are like i'm sorry theater experience is not as important as people's lives and you focused a lot on how important the theater experience was and you've continued to do this with the hbo max stuff and it's like at some point it's like you know read the room have you have you looked around the world uh the theater experience is basically irrelevant compared to the actual bad
0: things going on right now yeah in in some ways um Lost Steve McQueen interviews recently right, as he's promoting small acts and his kind of decision to do small acts, he just has a very realistic point of view and it's kind of refreshing to hear. It's like, yeah, yeah, like I love the theatrical experience, but like I also have to like work with the times and I have to meet people where they are. And- well, he had
1: the, the Atlantic, I read the Atlantic uh, interview with David Zin, and he was talking about how, yeah, of course he'd wanted in the theater, but the way he made it allowed it, the most people to see it, which it, Sort of at the end of the day, if you're a filmmaker, don't you just want the most people to see your movie? And, you know, Steve McQueen got his movie to play on the BBC and it's on Amazon Prime for everyone to go watch. So I feel like in the end, a bunch of people are going to get to watch it, which is a positive.
0: I think just a combination of idealism, of like, yeah, this is the dream and I will, like, push my movies to keep being a theatrical release, but, like, with a little bit of realism and flexibility when necessary. Yeah.
1: Also, just like, you know, when we don't have a global pandemic, push for the theater experience all you want and it's not dangerous you know yeah the biggest danger is like you know choking on a popcorn kernel you can't fight against reality
0: reality is it wasn't reasonable so you you have make changes
1: yeah yeah agreed um let us continue on to our main discussion today so we got the taking of pelham one two three i will tell the audience zach and i um this was zach's idea we but watched both the denzel uh, washington and tony Scott version. And also the original uh, nineteen seventy four version. Um, we did not watch the TV movie from the eighties with Jan- Edward James Osmos. but we are going to talk about um, the Denzel Tony Scott version. We want to talk about that because that's the main focus of our month. But we also wanted to compare it to the original because I think it's you know it's interesting to compare. But first, Zach Ford is going to give us the Zach Ford. Denzel Washington and Tony Scott taking a Pelham 123 plot summary and he's going to do it in limerick
0: form oh shit okay I need the form of limerick there was actually a man in um, New York the man was a operator I already fucked up um, he was a train operator. He looked like Denzel Washington, but chunky and with glasses <laughs> and bald. Uh, the, probably the best form of Denzel. <laughs> if I can to him, it's the first time I don't feel like he's better than me. I was like, I, I, I'm i one of you, Denzel. Also, I'm not quite chunky, but I'm getting <laughs> um, <laughs> it. Right, hey, it's COVID time. Know. We're all getting there. um. He was a train operator, um, but he really should be like a, a big shot train man. That That's his actual um, official title, big shot train man. But he was accepting bribes. Just, who knew all these like train business crimes that could happen, accepting bribes from um, Japanese um, train makers to pick their train? Um, he may or may, I think he actually did say he ended up doing it. Um, but we're gonna pick the train anyways. But because of that, he kind of got um, like demoted um, while I was under investigation to just being the like dispatch person or whatever his job was. Um, more ground level organizing the trains. I don't know. They're really into like train operations. Like it's a very severe job and very important. Really, like you're just like making sure the trains get to different places in New York. Okay. Anyways, uh, a train gets hijacked by John Travolta's goatee in um, his group group of hoodlums. And um, they contact uh, or the, the dispatch, Denzel, gets a hold of John Travolta. The, John Travolta just decides, like, this is my guy. It's the only person I'm going to talk to. Um, definitely the best way to, to get what you want in a, a negotiation is to talk to the chain dispatcher that has no rights to negotiate with you. But because as soon as they try to, the police try to take, denzo off they shoot a person so like get him back we're gonna let him take over the whole police <laughs> negotiation just to be irresponsible on um, safety protocols um and i don't know he negotiates shit and they try to give money to the john travolta's goatee and um a lot of people get shot on this train there's like a computer getting wi-fi for some reason in the middle of the thing. And I don't feel like that technology didn't even exist in 2009. I'm very confused about this. Um, so they're watching everyone on there. That's how they identified who the people were on the train. Um, somehow, I don't remember With the last half hour of the movie. Denzel like chases them down and he shoots Sean Travolta off a bridge. I skipped an hour, but you can skip an hour in the movie. Just fast forward. It's okay. Wow. <laughs> Zach taking shots.
1: um, I do think this has a lot of the Tony scott Scottness to it, like all the Denzel sitting at a mic talking to somebody and looking up at a big board that shows us where all the trains are and how to do all the things. Like that's just yeah, very Tony movie. Scott, just like deja vu. It is really like deja vu, um, and it also has a lot of like the the flashiness and the jump cuts and the the loud music and the like the beat. They do a lot of um, a lot of using of beat to set momentum and tension is like a really big thing that Tony Scott seems to appreciate in movies.
0: Connecting Pelham, um, Deja Vu and Crimson Tide is that it's really creating action and tension out of kind of static moments. Mm-hmm. Not, I mean, Unstoppable goes very opposite, the right the whole thing is kinetic and about motion. But it, everything's kind of still like all the action of suspense in Pelham comes from phone calls. It's just people yeah. talking with walkies. know for the whole time and that's where the suspense comes from it's all timing this conversation it's action through dialogue like we're saying crimson tide that's what this movie kind of works too it's action suspense through that conversation
1: yeah it's also kind of like the it's like crimson crimson tide it it buys into this idea that the only way for this tough situation to be resolved is for all these individual and um potentially self-serving in like people to work together even if they they have the same overall goal, but their underlying goals, their motivations, their, you know, level of commitment may be different. And that's why, you know, and then the added um, time crunch put in place by Travolta really kind of elevates it and forces, you know, Denzel's talking to this guy and he's talking to the hostage negotiator and how they get the money and they're talking to the mayor and they're trying to this person and that person. And like that's kind of similar to what happens in Crimson Tide where they're trying to, you know, the communication between all the different um, divisions on the submarine.
0: Yeah, the time crunch yeah is the the structure he uses I think the most to create the suspense. But also, I don't feel like that time structure exists for any reason other than just a reason to create um tense tension. Um, because like, why? Why is the time matter, John Travolta? Why? Why do you care? Is it just a power play? But really, it just seems like bad negotiation strategy. You're being so strict, but don't you want the money? Actually, I a- I disagree. I think that the time crunch is
1: put in there specifically so it puts the um the larger entities of government on their toes and weakens because government is most functional when a lot of different people can all share their ideas and pool and come to the best solution. If you knock them to an hour crunch, you prevent them from functioning the way that they want to function.
0: That makes sense. However, um, when your punishment is I'm going to kill somebody every one minute, you're late, you're going to run out people. And then you lost all your negotiations. I don't know if you noticed this. You're late. I don't know if you know this, John Travolta, sort of crazy, maybe a little yeah. wacko. I mean, that this is like I think the like advantage of this movie compared to the original, but also hurts the movie at the same time because I think watching John Travolta go wacko is the primary entertainment of this movie. Oh, him yeah. saying crazy shit, him just talking about the one like teenager and board and saying, I don't know, he wears skateboarding clothes, he pulls it off. It's crazy. His, his, pull la- pull his pull dialogue pull is so good. <laughs> it's really good. He just says crazy things. It's fun. But also I feel like because he's running on this um, chaotic momentum, um, I have no idea what he's really trying to get at or like his motivation mm-hmm. or what he's doing. He's just a madman. And that's, that's the whole thing. Rather it doesn't seem believable. He doesn't seem calculating enough or intelligent enough to like, <laughs> pull it off. Cause he's kind of just controlled by his impulses.
1: I mean, he also, they sort of set him up as kind of like a massive, um narcissistic you know yeah. overuser Wall Street guy I do think if when you come to the villain Travolta is way more interesting than the villain in the original movie I don't yeah, know if hes I, think- I don't know if he's better than the villain in the original movie yeah. but he is he is chewing the series he is devouring it and feasting on it and like he is going to town and it is really fun to watch but yes I do think it does knock his character a bit because you don't and maybe that's the point is that the character is so unpredictable and so unknowable that it makes Denzel being able to pick up small details in the phone message and in the, in the discussion and the talking to him more interesting. But he is definitely like, he doesn't seem like a professional. He seems not like a
0: man. You want to
1: watch the world burn. <laughs> he does have the attitude of like the Joker or some kind of terrorist whose eventual aim is not to gain something financial or something valuable but rather to just blow up the entire thing or destroy property or cause like a like he does seem more like the person that rather than getting all that money and then keeping it and then you know doing something with it he does seem a little bit more like the guy who would be like i'm gonna get all this money and then burn it so like the city just can't have it
0: no he's kind of like the villain and tenant that's well, but i'm gonna take the world down with me and um and he has like moments of being really smart. Like his whole, like, oh, he's getting
1: 2K and he's put 2 million and he's putting it into stocks and then he's tanking the stock market.
0: I think they try to build it up by they really hint that he was like a stockbroker to where yes. it really was like, the city burned me. So now I'm going to burn the city. Does seem um, a little bit like that. Does seem revenge is definitely a part yeah. of it. Which is like fine as a motivation. It just doesn't make it believable that you can like get away with it because you're a little more reckless and he's like so reckless. Um, yeah. But to compare it to the original. Um, Done by Robert Robert Shaw in the first movie is Mm -hmm. what I think they did because what is more interesting in the original is they care so much more about like the crew like the whole crew gets a lot more noticed than this does and they all have a more interesting interplay between each other I feel like they took all the characters especially like Hector Elizondo and Robert Shaw and melded them into just John Travolta John John Travolta is Hector Elizondo's like wild card gunman and Robert Shaw put together (laughs)
1: Yeah, you have a little bit of uh Luis Guzman as Phil Ramos. Yeah. You know, but he's I'm a very small saying. character. But the other two guys, you're yes, the other two
0: members of the crew are basically nothing. Yeah, Guzman's just similar just in function. Like he's just there to drive the train, but he doesn't have the like calmness that um Barn Bassam kind of brought to it. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. Mispronounce how do you say his name?
1: I think it's balsam he's very good um back to the back to the the remake for a second I do think one of the big upgrades is the mayor I think James Gandolfini is a much better mayor
0: wolves it has no point to the movie so once again just like john Ford I think it's one of the best parts and one of the worst parts um together because it, it doesn't really have a function it doesn't ha- um have much to say about the point because they kind of want to go, like, you know, political offices um, don't have much control over the city and can't really handle situations like this, but doesn't really, but the original one kind of does, um, but th- this one doesn't really play with that because they also want to make him seem kind of noble at the same time, like he's, like, just the the, the like blue-collar kind of guy, right, at the subway, and he's kind of just there. He's just, like, informed of it, and he's there to, like, say congratulations Denzel. himself, but he also is <laughs> just, like, such a New York guy, and, and I think that New York combo, this blue collar thing, just worked on me. I was like, Oh, oh I can't yeah. Watch. I don't think he's given anything more to do than the original movie.
1: I just think James Gandolfini is a really good screen presence, mm-hmm. and just really works as like the New York mayor. He just kind of plays that character really well. And some parts, the original guy who played the original just doesn't really seem like he would ever get elected mayor of New York. Like, no. he's so like he's, he's so anti New York. Like James Gandolfini seems like the guy who would be. A new, he seems like a New Yorker, and um, the original guy just, just flat out doesn't.
0: No, He's he, way too, he, like, wimpy and weak
1: and, like, lazy. It's like, the,
0: where? how on earth do you ever win over anyone in New York to win an election? I think this is, like, a really high-level job by James Gandolfini doing more than, than what you're given. I think it's a oh, really performance with a role that doesn't matter. I, well, I think it's, it's literally the same role from the original. And he no, just gives so it,
1: it
0: hits the the pettiness or patheticness oh. of character a little more. So it's yeah. a little more about how the, the like lack of functionality by the um, you know the mayor's office and the politics to handle these situations, and a little more how they're like controlled by voter base. I think it has more um, political,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: not satire, but the to it commentary, commentary right. than this one does. I think yeah. they used, like the plot points of it, but didn't care about Tony Scott doesn't care about saying shit. So-
1: I do think I do think the biggest thing about this movie compared to the original is the original has five to six good characters you pay attention to. And this movie really cuts it down to the one-on-one. This movie is almost a hundred percent the one-on-one between Denzel and John Travolta, which is in some reason reason which is in some ways the reason why Denzel and Travolta shine so much more than the characters in the original. In some ways, because they're just asked to do a lot more, and they're given a lot more to do.
0: Yeah, that's the Tony Scottness of it. That's what he really brought to it. Is he's like a movie star director, and he's mm-hmm. much more an action guy. That like even tonally, like the original works as a thriller, and this, even though without changing too much of the plot, just functions in an action kind of style. The energy is action, the chaotic. The that's just kind of dumber. <laughs> it's just a little more action. Quality to it, it becomes more it's also, surface level engagement. Tony Scott cares it's, about. There's not versions, mm-hmm. it's also yeah. Tony Scott's version is
1: flashier, it's louder, mm-hmm. it's faster paced, it's more action-based, um it's more constant tension rather than moments of tension. Um and it's very star-heavy. Like John Totoro is the hostage negotiator in this movie. John totoro relatively famous actor. Long career, lots of great performances. Has almost nothing to do in this movie. It is in some ways very weird that John Turturro was even cast as that character because he, he, he could have been
0: anyone really.
1: Because yeah, they don't but give him much to You do.
0: still want someone able to deliver those um, functionary parts as um, with Rivera. Mm-hmm. He has more to do than James Gandolfini's mayor as far as helping the plot move forward. Um, can I th- we briefly talk about the worst character in this movie. Um the, the like dick hole that's uh Denzel's boss, I guess, that is just like a complete asshole to him for no reason. Michael um, Rispoli. Then, yeah, Michael Rispoli, who then kind of forgets that he's mad at him um once they're in the middle of the thing. But the first part of the he's movie, he's like starting to to like talk to this terrorist that's taking over a train that you're in charge of, and Michael is just there like badgering him mm-hmm. for no reason. And it, he's- it's real bad he's a jerk and he's a moron because Mm. it's clearly like he just doesn't like
1: denzel and he's like blatantly letting this override any sense of the job he's attempting to accomplish to the point where like he's actively makes the situation worse and should be held responsible for the death of a person like he is directly responsible for the first hostage being murdered by like kicking denzel off like an idiot like it's
0: a really—he's a big idiot. I do think this be, the police would never let Denzel carry it on that long. That just would not happen. You no, know no, no, anyone, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying they would. On an amateur to negotiate. I'm not the saying terrorist. they would. I'm not saying they would.
1: I don't think the police would kick him away, in because they would be—they would want to make sure it was okay to trans transition over to somebody else, in case the guy, you know, the 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 terrorist basically decided to res, respond poorly. I do think this movie is – it doesn't have as much commentary as the original, but it also is, like, very much shows how blatantly incompetent the New York government and the New York police department is. Like, first off, they let them hijack. They hit, like, four people hijack a train. Um, they take – out. They, they. it basically takes them quite a while to even realize the train has been hijacked. Um, they have to get money. They're trying to run the money through the streets. They don't shut the streets down. They just keep running cars, and they're, like, smashing into things and falling off bridges. Right. I'm, awesome. just like, I'm just That's like, how on, how on earth did you not just, like, we were locking down, you know, every single block. You could put you could send out your entire force. You could block everything. You could make that easy, and they just don't, and it's, like, a truly bizarre moment.
0: And then, in basically, the, if Denzel the, is a art broker... John, what they couldn't change because they wanted to keep that action scene from the original one, transferring the money. But it's 2009, my friend, and he was like a fucking Wall Street broker. Like he would have had some offshore account for them to transfer money that was like, it would not have been handled in cash. They just kept that physical level so they can create. I do
1: love the weird, like, take this random number and multiply it times 19. And what do you get? And it's like, turns out to be
0: 10 million. It's like, why don't you say 10 million? I hope he just randomly n- number generated three numbers. Like, okay, multiply these three numbers together. Oh, it is, there are definitely
1: moments like that where it's like, they're just so massively incompetent. And like, basically this movie, if Denzel isn't smart enough to realize it shouldn't stop there, like, they would just escape. Um, let's see. I do actually think they're like, they do some smart stuff in the initial conversations. Denzel starts picking up... um information like in the conversations oh i think he's catholic oh i think he's this oh he uses these terms oh i think he's the wall street broker because he calls people commodities um which is kind of heavy-handed but also effective in the story um
0: yeah sure Th- that note-taking scene is one of the better scenes it kind of gives him any credence on why he should be like left in charge to do negotiate because he proved that he can handle it competently
1: yeah it also kind of shows that Denzel's like a little bit of level above everyone else he's working with.
0: Oh, um, do you, you know how else? you can tell he's a level above everyone he's working with?
1: He's Denzel Washington? He's Denzel Washington. Do you have anything else specifically to talk about um, in the Denzel Tony Scott movie? Because I have one more thing.
0: I do want to say... Oh, you can talk about your one thing because mine's ridiculous. So we can say Well, that mine's,
1: mine's word. I do. I, so there is a a couple a guy is on the train and
0: he is faced
1: basically video chatting with his girlfriend and yeah. in the middle they get taken over what i brought this up in the plot yeah the pot. okay well no, it's just it's it's the truly insane i feel like we need to talk about this um so terrorists have taken over the train they have guns and she's like i love you and then when he doesn't respond because speaking would physically endanger him she goes well are you gonna say it back and i'm like What is wrong with you? You psycho. He he, he has to literally literally go, it's not a great time to talk right now. Like, he has to actively tell her, hey, maybe we shouldn't be talking right now because there's, like, people with
0: guns. It's just – it's such a weird moment. To be fair, teenagers. Stupid. (laughs) Very stupid. She's very stupid. And function on purely, like – emotions on their sleeve level um but also like she that character made me real sad she was also like flashing him in the beginning of the movie you know she didn't want to do that she was just trying to get him to love her and give her attention it was all very depressing Um, well did you get there's a weird line where where um
1: after they get hijacked and he realizes that the line is still up because they have the internet, he goes, Take the feed and put it on our website. I'm just like, What website do you guys have in
0: 2000? <laughs> like, i
1: like, You think you guys, I, I think you've just, like subtly hinted to the fact you may be um, like cam models and doing like sex
0: cam. Like, it's a very weird, um, like, side plot, like, Couldn't very just almost Justin Hard Jenny Forever website just to commemorate their relationship. Um, but also, like, why is he even talking to her on the fucking train? You know you're going to lose your call. fact, you should never have a call. There's no Wi-Fi in Subway strong enough for, like, a computer at that point, 2009, a laptop. I'm this. Yeah. There's no way. Uh, yeah. You would just call them on the phone and talk to the person. Yeah, you, <laughs> you probably should have. Yeah, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting where they, thing. Where are they getting Wi-Fi from? There's no Wi-Fi on trains. It just does not exist. It might and, exist above ground, but definitely it, not below ground. But I don't think that – no. That it would ha- where's the Wi-Fi signal coming from? There's none that are, like, within the subways. They don't have their own, like, routers. No,
1: that's a good point. A good point. It, yeah, you can't, like, use data for that because
0: You can't use data for it. It doesn't exist. All right, um, well. Okay, here's what I want to talk about. So um, I think I spent a half hour of this movie um, considering how I would negotiate with the terrorist train. <laughs> all right um for both for both versions um especially but uh so the thing is they need to get power on their side and i would say like time them in my ass and they go against it i'm like okay then you're not going to get money they if they care about the money they're going to still have to have some sort of negotiation killing people sure but like also my thing is you kill one person the money is gone it's done and our aim is to now you know kill you and arrest you and we're not even going to try to negotiate but if you keep everyone safe we'll give you the money and you have a higher chance of getting out so either you play a little bit by our rules and keep everyone safe and we will take as much time as it takes for us to get there and you have a chance of getting out and running free or you you kill someone because you wouldn't play by the rules, and now you spend the rest of the time never getting the money. There's no chance, and you're running for your life, hoping you'll stay alive. So that's how we negotiate. I don't know if you know this about me, Lucas. I'm a tough ass. I'm just real a hard, a hardballer, yes. as you would yep. say.
1: I just think I think that in any scenario like this, I think it's so easy from the outside to say how you negotiate. And I think that the truth of the matter is if you were the person stuck in the line with a crazy person, waving a gun around in a cab with a bunch of people, um, I think you start giving them anything they want because uh, I think, especially as a member of the New York government, the you would rather give them $40 million, a hundred million dollars than have to deal with news coverage of, um, the police butchered it, and now there's 20 people dead in a train car. Because that's like the PR nightmare that ruins, you know, the entire city. And then like 13 people have to, 40 people have to resign. Um, do you have anything else to say on just the Denzel and really and Tony Scott version, or should we move on to a comparison with the original? Eh, I think I'm good. It's fine. Let's talk about. Let's talk about the original. So, the original is. Directed by Joseph Sargent. Don't know him. um, And it stars Walter Matthau in the Denzel role. And uh, Robert Shaw in the John Travolta role, which is weird to say because they came first. But um, let's see. The difference is, first off, um, Walter Matthau is actually the higher up at the place. He's not been demoted like Denzel. So he has a little <laughs> bit more
0: power? No, he's a police officer. No, he's a transit think, officer. Yeah, that's like train yeah. police. I thought I took that as train police.
1: Yes, he, he is a lieutenant, Zachary Garber. Who lieutenant. Is, um, yeah, he's train police. He's MTA police. He's train yeah. police versus Denzel, who is a dispatcher. In John Travolta is an ex-Wall Street dude who went to jail. Robert Shaw is just um, he's just like a like a mercenary, which is a less interesting backstory. Like, basically everyone – the Phil Ramos character still exists of the former um, train driver who did some crime and is no longer with the, the place. That character still exists, um, but is a larger character in the original. But basically, um, yeah, it goes from being a mercenary – uh Robert Shaw as a mercenary.
0: I would rather have as a mercenary. I think it's the fact they try to give John Travelle a backstory without really – Caring about it, it just doesn't seem believable with his actions.
1: Well, I he's, think that I, I think they have to give it to him because you've made um, John Travolta a much larger part of the
0: story than Robert Shaw was. I, I think their focus on Robert Shaw's villain was more the competence. It seems more believable. He was like level-headed and like could take action when. Oh, he's, com- he's he is much more calculating. calculating. He's brutally
1: competent. He doesn't want to. He doesn't talk to them. He basically his inner so travolta has conversations with denzel where he goes on speeches and he just like talks about crazy stuff and random stuff and stuff that doesn't matter robert shaw basically only talks to walter Matthau when he's like here are your orders here's how much time you have left like he is he is not he's not playing a game like he is telling him he is telling him how it's gonna go and um you know what's gonna happen i think we both like the original better than the remake and I think, but I argue, I think the remake is in some ways more fun. It
0: is fun to watch John Travolta be crazy. Honestly, amazed how different they are because I wasn't expecting that. That was a pretty faithful movie, but like, there's some plot-wise, but just tonally, as I mentioned earlier, I think they're oh, really it's completely different. different. The original is like a thriller drama, and this
1: the new one is like an
0: action movie. Thriller drama with like a sitcom last frame. <laughs> it's a oh, it's a good. One. <laughs> they, they also like um.
1: In the original, Robert Shaw dies by putting his feet between tracks and killing himself like 30 minutes before the movie is over, mm-hmm. electrocuting himself to death. That's and then I, it's real shocking it comes from nowhere. It's kind oh, of it's a disgusting. In a way I like. yeah. And then the rest of the movie, the last 30 minutes, the last the end of the of the Denzel Tony Scott version is John Travolta is dead. So it mm-hmm. ends with the villain, main villain being killed. In the original, it ends up being a hunt for the driver. Martin Bo arms yeah character yes and this is when my favorite character comes into it, which is of course lieutenant Rico Patrol who is one well, of my favorite people. is
0: Martin Bassam's character so we right together
1: good.
0: Lieutenant Rico patrol played by oh. the <laughs> all, all-time great what? More I keep saying Bassam. The S is after the L, and I'm going to write this 30 times down in cursive and print. Time I'm All
1: right. Lieutenant Rico Patron is played by, of course, the legendary comedian Jerry Stiller. And I yeah. do appreciate what? That's the only reason you like him. He's also really, he's also, his dry humor is very funny. I also like the fact that he is just short enough that he always looks like a, like, like a child dressing up as a cop. And his shoulders are always like a little high. He is like, shoulders a little too high. His arms are like way too long. He just has like, he just has a Jerry Stiller, all time great looking body. Um, But he's also very funny in this movie. There's a great moment where um, under a cop who's in the tunnel calls him and goes, This guy just like got shot a bunch by a machine gun. And he goes, Is he dead? (laughs) Just completely straight up. And then there's also moments where the guy's hiding in the tunnel whispering and he goes, Speak up, I can't
0: hear you. Yeah, he's a funny he's guy. Got some good lines. He's got some good lines. I think he's I actually think really he funny. He more bits, <laughs> just like jokes. Because there's a the whole bit that starts with him, um, where they're like, uh, "The train, it's moving, it's moving." They're like, "What's moving?" And they're like, "Oh, is that a fucking? I'm thinking the wrong way. That's an unstoppable. No, it that one? <laughs> all right, I was worried we also watched Unstoppable. Spoiler alert for next week. <laughs> so all these trains are mixed up in my head. They're like, "It's it's on it's on the move," and every, and they're like, "What's on the move?" And like. What do you think is on the move? The only train's been taken hostage, and they have to like, repeat that five times because every single person like asks, "What's on the move?" It's just—it's a bit. They have good jokes. There are some good jokes. There's some good jokes.
1: Um, but yeah, it is vastly different—the two versions—in a lot of respects. And also, like, even if you take out the styles of the directors, which I think are hugely different, and I do think actually Tony Scott um, does a lot more with his version. Then Joseph Sargent did this. His, the original is very much shot kind of straight up, kind of no nonsense, kind of just like let the things happen in front of the camera. Like there's not a lot of uh, more procedural. in a lot of Yeah, that. there's not a lot of flair outside of the final shot, which is there is a great shot. Richard Patron and Lieutenant Garber, played by Walter Mather, go to Martin Balsam's apartment to, to look because they're looking for the only person Ooh. who got away is the driver and they look around his and they look around his apartment and they don't find anything and they walk to the door and say oh we're sorry for bothering you and they shut the door and you know martin Botham sighs and then like uh, the door swings open and Sweet. there's just like he just looks through the door he
0: sneezes and then he looks to the door and he just gives him like the eye and it's it is a great shot it is like all – that's like, a whole so math lemon comedy moment like he took to that fun so, couple it's <laughs> so good it is Ah, uh, like an an
1: all-time great last shot. Like it is such a good last shot, of um,
0: I've just giving him the eye. Go, I ah, know you did it. But I think that's a big part of what's enjoyable about about the movie because it's just so much more steady in its characters. Um, the the remake is a lot more emotionally heightened everyone's kind of shouting and tense and upset including john travolta and denzel they're much more high characters when we already talked about robert shaw being a more calculating villain but so is math house detective it's just like more like steady about it he's really calm throughout the whole thing it's about doing his job and how he gets it when mean, watch mm-hmm. robert shaw electrocute himself he was just like that guy's a dumbass. and i was like hey, well he but <laughs> Walter Matho also doesn't have the hanging investigation,
1: potential criminal activity, bribe stuff hanging over him. There's added drama built into Denzel's character that doesn't exist for Matho. Matho is just a upstanding member of the MTA police.
0: There's no backstory needed in this. That's not It's it's just about how do people act in this situation of a train being taken hostage. Was the procedure to handle the negotiations to solve this car? That's what matters. You don't need to create like Tony Scott does well as me, especially an unstoppable. Wait till we get to that. Just forcing in like melodramatic backstories into the characters, thinking that's what mm. you need to care about them, rather than sometimes just watching people act and how they behave in situations is enough to develop those characters and care about them. Because I feel like these characters are—I would say—Walter Malthouse's character probably better developed than Denzel's character. Um, just, I better, would disagree. With that. I like, think Denzel's uh, better. the man a little more in how he acts than how he handles his job. Mm. I don't need to know that he, you know, has having marital issues or have, or lost his job, and under mm. investigation. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is I think the leads are more interesting
1: in Scott's version, but I think that's also just such a nature of the two movies that movie wants to focus on the two of them, and I think in some ways some of the best parts of the original is that they really give time and moments for these like supporting characters to like, there's so many really great, um, like classic New York actors in that one that are just really have like really good bits. Cause they're just like, they're just like the classic New York character. actor. They've got kind of a funny voice and they got kind of a look like, um, Bill Cobb is one of the people in it. And, you know, Bill Cobb in this. He's a guy. He's one of
0: the guys in the train, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, I just don't know what young Bill Cobb looks like. I only know old Bill Cobb. I know. I know. Um, I, I don't think Bill I knew him either. I just saw him and Cobb. I was like, I'm feeling That's him. all I got. Air Bud coach Bill Cobb. He's really good at teaching dogs how to play basketball. Yeah, he's just one. Martin Balsam is like a character you just don't get in the remake. Um, like Bondos, uh, like Sleazeball, <laughs> asshole, wildcard gunman. Um as well, who's, like, unidentifiable as young Hector Eliz- Elizondo. That one you don't get, you don't, you kind of have the wildcard gunman in the new one, but they spend, like, two minutes on him at the beginning.
1: But his only characteristic is he's an idiot who may pull the trigger too fast. Like, that's his only, in the new version, that's the only characteristic.
0: In the old version, he's more of the person that thinks he, like, he should be in charge. Like, he is, he's going to yeah, be... Yeah, like, there's a little extra
1: to him that makes you wonder, like, they, that gives you a reason to understand why he just might start mouthing off and you know, he's pissing off, you know, Robert Shaw and like why he would do that. There's just, I think in some ways there's just, there's more characters and they give a little bit more time to them, which really works in uh, a lot of ways. Just like it gives them a little bit of um, a bit bitter breath with the movie. You know, that's kind of what you want the, you know, the, the, for better or for worse. You know, Tony Scott's version is just it's a two-hander, really. Above all, it's between it's like the entire yeah. point of that movie is that is the phone calls between the, the two of them. Yeah,
0: because he cares about movie stars. And I think the original one cared about the heist. Yeah. I mean the original one also just I mean I guess Walter Matthau was a pretty decent star at this point. Yeah. Robert Shaw. Yeah, I was looking at his filmography. Some big movies lead into this. He also well, it's before it's this before Jaws. But he already did. He's uh, a James Bond movie at this point, hasn't he? He's played he Blofeld. He did Russia Love. He already did Man for All Seasons, which I think yeah, I may have just did the Sting. Time. Just did the Sting the year before. Yeah, so he like is a known actor, respected actor at this point.
1: Yeah, I actually more than anything, the Travolta one is the one that feels like the most um, star performance in Tony Scott's version.
0: I was thinking. Like, and I was looking at this for my movie, too, and I'm pretty sure this is the end of John Travolta at all being a like big blockbuster leading man or co-leading man,
1: like relevant.
0: Yeah, really relevant at all. Uh, because he goes straight to DVD pretty much after that. Has he made or, any? I'm trying to... or like standout supporting roles on like TV shows. He does an Oliver Stone movie. Savage yeah. but that's a supporting
1: role. He yeah, he doesn't really do anything after this. Like yeah, half of these movies you've never heard of. He did, um, what, he the biggest thing that John Travolta does after this movie is a TV show. Old dog. The exactly. biggest thing he does, the thing he does is, is the people versus OJ Simpson. That's the biggest yeah, performance yeah. he has after this. But TV yeah, that's basically show. the only the only thing. Um, do you have any final thoughts on either version of it
0: or Denzel? No, but I do. Um, I do want to say that sometimes it could be like, why am I going to watch the remake or the original after already watched one? Because it can get tiring um, mm-hmm. to do the story over. Like I've had that experience with Girl Guide Tattoo specifically. Like I read the book and watched both versions of the movies at the same time. I was like, this was like, is too much. Okay, so- wait, 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 wait! Don't test those. I like both movies. There, I'm a big. Big, um, I big know, hardcore. Uh, if you consume all three of those versions like within the same month, it can be a little overwhelming and you get a little sick of the story. But I think I do want to say I find it rewarding to watch them back to back. So if you do yes. happen to watch you know, thinking of Pelham, I do find it um rewarding to watch this, the other one right away. Just the, the comparison's interesting. I think it helps you notice a little bit of what Tony Scott brings to movies, especially. I think it stands out when you're comparing it to us the same story told by someone else. So um, I would recommend it. I I will um, echo your sentiments on that. This is, these two movies are, they have, may have the same title,
1: but they are about as dissimilar as the two Hitchcock versions of The Man Who Knew Too Much. Like there is a completely different tone and idea behind these movies. And I think both of them are good movies and both of them have value and are enjoyable. And yeah, I do think actually, I think you made the correct point, which is that it really does tell you it really gives you an insight to what Tony Scott thinks is important because you see what he, you see him take the original and go, I don't care about all these things and I want all these things. And like, you really get to see like him directly um, adapt a previous movie to his own taste and his ideas.
0: Sure.
1: And with that being said, we have finished the taking of Pelham one, two, three, Zach and I are going to go um, ride the subway. Actually, we're not because being on a subway during COVID time sounds like a terrible idea. Um, but yeah, we will be back next week when we talk about more trains. Not underground. It's unstoppable time. Get excited. We may have a fight over this movie because I think we like this movie um, quite <laughs> a little bit different. Um, and with that being said, we will see you next week. Bye bye, guys
0: start spreading the news i'm talking today i want to be a part of it the lucas (laughs) and tech podcast show good night everybody i love you